When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on God Watch the Tape from Cluedo.com, Doug Lamarie, Scott Patsko, and that's an and at the end of Scott Patsko for the first time in a long time. Lance Risland joining us. And and listen, we're gonna blow you away with football bona fides here. Scott Patsko, Scott Patsko has never actually touched a football as in, in his entire life. I don't even know what a football is shaped like. Lance, thank you for joining us. You have been doing some stories at cleveland.com, breaking down some film. Since Ellis Williams left us, we want to k- keep that film component of our Browns coverage going. And we said, you know who might be good at that? A coach! An actual coach might be good at that. Lance, I know a lot of people listening are familiar with your name, familiar with your work. Why don't you give the people a little background on uh, why you're going to be so good on this show? Uh, First of all, thank you for having me. We'll see how good I am. Uh, My background is uh, I'm basically a a football guy. My dad was a high school football coach for 45 years. Uh, I grew up on football. My first football game was when I was two years old. So I've been around football my whole life. Um, I recently resigned from Garfield Heights as a head coach in 2018. Uh, I was there as a head coach for four years, but I was with my dad 18 years previous. Uh, and just a lot of football, a lot of football in my life. We've gone to a lot of football games and lots of film and uh, enjoyed the aspect of uh, how football works. So um, I look forward to it. I was the coach of the uh, white jerseys in the Central Ohio eight and under girls soccer league about seven years ago. And I think we were one and nine. So again, uh, Scott, have you ever coached anything? Uh, I was the greatest wide receiver in the history of Avon middle school recess. And (laughs) those stats hold up. It was a long time ago, but I think it's undisputed. Okay, so we're just reading resumes again here on Gotta Watch the Tape, but that's not why you're listening. You're listening for breakdowns of the Cleveland Browns with numbers and film. Lance is going to break down. Browns receivers getting open. How well did they do it last time against the Ravens? What can they do better this time when they host the Ravens on Sunday? But first, Scott is going to kick us off with a bunch of numbers, including some 13 personnel stuff that I have been asking Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski a lot of questions about the last two weeks. I have not yet written about that because I'm lazy. But Scott analyzed it, and I have at least I have thoughts to contribute to it. And Lance will be jumping in as well. But Scott Pasco. Start us off, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, so the Browns just spent, you know, the last week self-evaluating as a football team, but I would assume they were also trying to spend out or trying to spend time trying to figure out how they're going to do things differently against the Ravens because it didn't all go well three weeks ago. And so I, I kind of went through that thought process and came up with a few things, two that uh, need to change, and then one that they did pretty well at, but they're probably going to have to change a little bit as well. So we're going to start with the running game because uh, that is, you know, that's what so much of what the Browns do is centered around. Um, so let's start with what happened 
And if you saw the game, you might not want to listen to this because it's not great. Uh, the Browns. Listen, had their- I'm going to tell you, Scott, <laughs> you did the the, the bye week podcast was like. 10 things the Browns are doing horribly. I, I don't so think bad. people liked it. I don't mm. think people, we have got to, can you please, can we just, we can't just say do better, try harder and move on. You got to, we got to go in detail on everything that went wrong. I promise we're going to do a podcast. It's all happy and rainbows and sunshine. And 30 minutes is going to be about Miles Garrett. And the other 30 minutes is going to be about Joel Petonio. And that's it. <laughs> that's all you're going to get. Okay. I'm going to be the happy uh, stuff. I'm going to sing that. Uh, I'm going to sing either like the Justin Timberlake, that troll song or uh, um, Bobby McFerrin or Pharrell Williams. I'm going to sing a happy song in the background while you detail all the problems with the Browns. Go ahead. Okay. Lowest so, rushing so total happy. of the season. Don't get a sued for copyright here, by the way. <laughs> um, just 40 yards on 17 carries. And if you're not quick with math, that's an average of 2.4 yards. For carry. Um, but remember, this was not a lopsided game. Like the Browns had to abandon, it wasn't like the Browns had to abandon the run and pass to get back into it. Also, both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt played in this game, although Hunt's calf kind of had issues near the end. The point is, the Browns, they were just kind of simply shut down. Uh, and it was only the second time over the last two seasons that the Browns were held below 100 yards rushing when both Chubb and Hunt played mm. in a game together. The Ravens joined that legendary 2020 Jets defense, which held the Browns to just 45 yards rushing. You remember Let's be them. fair. Let's be fair. That wasn't that wasn't the Jets. Right. It actually, that was the it Rona. Wasn't, that was held down by the Rona. Right. Right. They, 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 but they were decent against the run last season, but it was more that they knew the Browns didn't have any receivers because, you know, they were all out with COVID. So. But that's basically it. Just those two games. So the Ravens crowded the line of scrimmage. I was part of it. Chubb saw eight or more players in the box uh, on half his carries. He only had eight carries. So Hunt, again, about eight, half of his carries. He only had seven carries. Um, neither of them qualified for the next-gen stats leaderboard on facing eight or more in the box. But basically, you're looking at about 50% uh, of their rushes. Now, if you want to go take a step back and say seven or more in the box, the Browns saw that on 13 of 15 carries against the Ravens. But as Kevin Stefanski points out almost every week, seeing a bunch of defenders near the line of scrimmage is nothing new for the Browns. They've had success against those fronts and he's right. They rank seventh this season in number of rushing attempts against eight or more in the box, 82 attempts, and they've gained 385 yards, which is fifth best. In fact, they actually lead the league in yards per attempt against eight or more in the box, 4.7. So they've actually gotten it done in those situations. Um, their EPA per attempt, their fifth. There's one of six teams with a positive EPA on runs against eight or more in the box. So, but in week 12, none of that held up. They, it was like, it was one yard per carry against eight men in the box. They had a negative EPA. So it just, it was not good. A lot of the finger pointing uh, is probably going to be directed at the offensive line, like Teller, Batonio, Conklin, Treader, those guys, if you want to go by PFF run blocking grade, they're all over 70 this season. They're all solid to excellent. Teller obviously is back up where he was last year, but Teller, Batonio, Conklin, all over 80. Wills is having issues again as a run blocker. He's down in the 50s. Even Blake Hans, though, he's in the 70 club. So that group has been good as a run blocking unit, but against the Ravens, only Batonio top 70. He was in 84. Point six and Wills was your second best blocking offensive lineman, which is not really a good thing. Uh, he was below 70. He was in the 60s. Hans Teller in the 60s. Conklin only played three snaps as a run blocker, but he's in the 50s. Treader in the 50s. 
tight ends figured into the issues as well. There were multiple plays where you had uh, two players, sometimes a tight end and a lineman going to the same guy when that probably shouldn't have been the case. Mm. And you had other guys wide open again, you know, they're crowding the box. So if you're not accounting for the right guys, then you have someone shooting into the gap and nailing Nick Chubb or cream hunt right at the line of scrimmage. So those were issues. And Batoni actually mentioned that. I mean, everybody talked about execution after the game and how that was an issue, but he did point out that there were things the offense could have checked to out of certain runs. If the Ravens were like overload side and he, in saying that it kind of seemed to indicate that they did not do that enough. Uh, so you have to think that that's going to be an emphasis going into the second meeting. Um, but it's not as if the Browns haven't had success running against the Ravens. They averaged almost five yards per carry in week 14 last season. Uh, Chubb was over four. He's almost five. Hunt was five and a half. And even in week one, when they fell behind early, they still rushed for 138 yards in that game. And Chubb averaged six yards per carry hunt over five. So if you're the Browns and you want to believe that Wyatt Teller plays closer to the ability that he's shown and that the execution does get cleaned up. That's one part of it, but you're also possibly without David Njoku in this right. game who's currently on the COVID reserve list. You, you're losing two tight, tight ends possibly. And in Njoku, you're using one who's actually been really good as a blocker this year. Uh, PFF ranks blocking grades again in zone runs. He's ranked sixth, which uh, who would have thought Njoku would be up there, you know, three years ago with all his issues, but that's basically where the, the, the run game is. And I think that, Dealing with so many men in the box isn't something new. It's just for the for the second time in the last few weeks, they've done a really bad job of making sure the right people are covered or getting out of runs that that just weren't going to work because there were people overloaded on the side they wanted to run to. All right, Lance, can I ask you a question from a from a coaching standpoint on a situation like this? Sure. So you are a running team that has run effectively against a lot of guys in the box in the past. As Scott said, listen, they're used to seven and eight guys in the box, and the Browns still run and usually run pretty well. But you're coming off a game where they put a bunch of guys in the box and you didn't run well. Now here's a rematch. Would you stick with what you do? Say, listen, man, run it. We're a run team. We've run against heavy boxes before. Or would you and and like let's lean into our strength, not give up on it? Or do you say to yourself, man, we've got to, we can't just keep running into that wall even though it's our strength, they're setting out to take away our strength. We've got to change a little bit. I'm always fascinated from a coaching standpoint. When a defense wants to take away what you do best, how do you decide, do we still lean into what we do best or do we try to take advantage of what is now open because of what they're trying to stop? Well, first thing that I, I watching the game last week, there's, I always tell people there's a difference between eight in the box and, and an odd front and eight in the box. What the Ravens do very well is the Ravens cover the center, cover the guards very well. And so I think a lot of what the run game is for the Browns, obviously, is inside-outside zone. Uh, and what that eagle look does, that eagle look takes away those double teams that are crucial in a zone game. So you don't get the double teams on a three technique and the two-eye and those guys inside. When you go, when you cover the guard guards in the center in that eagle look, those guys are all one-on-one -on -one now. So part of their running success uh, has a lot to do with getting those big double teams inside. And those guys do a great job of getting off. Uh, Antonio and, and they get a great job getting off on the linebackers. Uh, I think what they need to do is continue to run the ball and, and use more of a gap scheme where those guys uh, okay. down blocking, you get good angles on those, uh, those down linemen. So, yeah, I think you have to continue. That's how the team is made. That's our two best players for me 
our hunt and chub, you know, running the ball. So I think you have to stick with the run game um, and you have to figure out what works. And for me, I always, I, I was an offense coordinator when I was, um, uh, you know, when I was at Garfield and the one of the thing that always hurts a zone is that Eagle front. And it's just because now you're taking away those double teams. So uh, I think when the Ravens get in that eight, eight man box uh, and they have that, that center covered, uh, I think the more gap schemes would really help the Browns because it allows those down blocks and then you get those big guards out and around. So, uh, and, and the Ravens are very multiple. So uh, when they are in, a, in an even front and that center's uncovered, they get more into their zone scheme. So it's not, it's not get away from the run. It's just, do it a little bit differently, which makes sense. Make the adjustments, but stick with your bread and butter. Correct. Well, one of the things too, Scott, that is certainly an interesting issue is I'm going to get one of those jerseys. I'm going to get a Blake Hans jersey, and then I'm going to get a piece of tape, and then I'm going to put over top of it, I'm going to put, dear God, anybody but, and then it'll say Hans, because that is the, the official Browns position on who their starting right tackle is now. Because <laughs> it's sort of like, well, isn't Blake Hans the only guy it can be? And they're like, no, we're not saying who it is. So as long as they keep saying that it's not Blake Hans, it's like they're hoping they can come up with another person other than Blake Hans because Jack Conklin is out for the year. He's been the guy who's been doing it, and they won't commit to him for this game, Scott. It is very interesting but i think it tells you everything we need to know about the right tackle position right now yeah i th- i think austin hooper might have said it's hands without really saying it's hands because when 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 he was talking today to the media he he brought up hans's name as kind of next man up uh, along with you know whoever they end up getting to play tight end in this game uh, so i do think it's going to be hans and he hasn't been bad against the run it's mostly pass blocking with him but i mean that's not really sure who else, like what the other option is there that that's any good. It's, it's just, it's not good either way. It's not great either way. I keep waiting for it to be that like Joe Thomas has come out of retirement and is going to play right tackle for half for five games at like 240 pounds or whatever he's down to now. Cause he can be the third tight end. That might be pretty good. Yeah. Lance can tight end. Lance, can you play right tackle? Do you have any right tackle left in you that you oh, can gosh, maybe get no. out there? No, that would that would not be good at all. Going back to Hans, <laughs> I think the good thing about him or whoever it is, now they know they're the guy. And when you're practicing, um, he gets all the reps now. He gets all the first team reps. He works with the backs. He works with the other guys. He works with the guys next to him. So I think he'll get better. I really do. And uh, obviously he's a pro and everybody says pros got to be ready, but reps are reps at any level. So I think now that he knows – um, I know they're not committed to him, whoever they're committed to. Um, that's going to be the guy that gets the rep. So I, you, you would assume uh, with Callahan, because he does a great job, they'll, they'll only get better there, I, I would assume. I, I, got, I got a question, and I guess I'd throw it out to both of you, because it became a storyline again this, this week. There were a lot of questions. Hey, we can see Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield again. And I, we, we wrote about that all offseason. We wrote about that uh, leading up to this season. And I just, in my head, when I hear people ask that question, I, I, I wonder if they have visions of like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt lateraling the ball to each other as they like run down the field. I'm not sure. It just seems like something that people want to see, but I don't know if anybody really thinks about how that would work. Do you have thoughts on that, Lance? Having Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield together. I, I'm not sure. I think the, there's some the, sets. I'm not sure the positive side of that offsets the, the resting the positive or the whole resting you know rotation thing 
Well, I think a lot, what a lot of people is, they're both very good. And like you said, the, the idea of having them both out there sounds great, but I'm not sure what they would do for each other. There's one ball. And I always tell, so my idea is they both need touches and having them both out there to me, doesn't make a lot of sense at times. Now you can get in formations and create matchups with linebackers and things of that nature. Um, But I think what it comes down to is how do we get them touches in, in space um, through formations, through whatever it may be. So I don't, I'm not necessarily big on having them both out there. It, you know, for me, it's, I know they'll block for each other. I know their team guys, but I want the ball in those guys' hands making plays. So for me, it's not really, I don't, it sounds great. Let's have them both out there. They're our best guys, but they play the same position. And so for me, it's about getting, how do we get them touches productively uh, in space? Because right now that, that was the problem against the Ravens is getting them touches in space. I mean, if they're in the backfield together, you're setting up a position where then one is going to have to block for the other. Like that's the only way. And it's, and, and you know, at Ohio state back in the day, every now and then they do something where Ezekiel Elliott would wind up as a lead blocker for somebody on a play. And Ezekiel Elliott would wipe out two guys. And it was like, my God, how can the best running back in college football be that great of a blocker? But you did it like super sparingly. Cause like, that's a rep. That's a physical toll that a guy is putting his body on the line when he doesn't have the ball. And it's like, is that the best use of that guy's, meter of energy but right. when i think about chunt and hub chunt and hub i knew i was gonna do chunt and hub i knew it i knew it show by the hunt so lance this is the thing we talk about this is the part where i'll just edit it out and then i'll say hub and chunt <laughs> i just said it wrong okay. again no see but then i'm gonna forget to edit it out and then this is gonna be in there everybody's gonna be like see doug we know how bad you are you forgot to edit it out those two guys, when I think of them on the field together, I don't think of them in the backfield together. To me, it's like, is there, can you get 10 or 12 snaps a game where maybe they start in the backfield and then Hunt goes in motion and now you're throwing him a bubble screen and it's it's just that you're threatening the defense with what you might do because you have two playmakers on the field. If you feel like your receivers aren't playmakers, it goes a little bit back to the Dan Lobby idea of Kareem Hunt, slot receiver, not all the time, but as a wrinkle. That's how I think of it. Not in the backfield, but could they be on the field together 10 snaps against Baltimore? I might be for that. I don't know that I want to turn anybody into a lead blocker for the other, though. Okay. Scott, that wasn't on your rundown, though. That was just a random. You're just leaning into the zeitgeist. It's literally Kevin Stefanski got 11 questions about that the first time I got to talk to him. And he was kind of like, fine, maybe, fine, maybe, fine, maybe. I don't think he actually (laughs) meant it. Scott, we are talking about personnel groupings, though. And can I just say, I have a 13 personnel theory that I would like to write about before the game. And I will, we'll, be, we'll get Lance's thoughts on this because it's one of those things that when you say it out loud, no part of it makes sense. But I'm almost intrigued by the idea of their Harrison Bryant is out for sure. High ankle. David Njoku is out. Maybe. Random practice squad dude is in, but they are not going to be able to do 13 personnel as much as they've done in the past. I don't think just like from a numbers standpoint. And I think that's good. But Scott, what do you think of this? How we might see the personnel groupings change? Yeah, that, things are going to change because the Browns, they had two they had major issues with the two, two of their most used personnel groupings, specifically 11 and 13. So when Harrison Bryant was injured near the end of the first half, it kind of blew up what they do on offense, right? Without their third tight end, they had to adjust on the fly. In the first half, they were really balanced with their personnel. Uh, They ran 34 total plays in the half. And stick with me here. I don't want this to get confusing. I'm going to say a lot of numbers. 13 of those plays 
or 11 personnel with three wide receivers on the field. 11 of the plays. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 11 of them were 13 with three tight ends and then 10 were 12 personnel with two tight ends. So again, it's 13, 11 and 10 plays out of their three favorite personnel groupings. They really, they were, they were uh, pretty balanced there in the second half though. They really, they had to abandon 13 personnel. There was actually one play according to sharp football. There was one play out of 13 and that must've been like either Demetric Felton or maybe even Jojo Natson lining up as a tight end for a play. I didn't, care enough to go back and look, but it was basically just, they pretty much didn't run 13 in the second half. And they leaned into 12 with two tight ends that they still had. Uh, They ran plays out of that formation on 17 of their 23 plays in the second half. 12 of those plays were pass plays. And Mayfield was seven to 12. He threw the one touchdown he threw out of that. Uh, And they had a 50% success rate overall. Not great. Um, I know Stefanski is a creative guy, but if you're using the same formation over and over and you game plans for using multiple formations, there are only going to be so many things you're able to do in the second half of a game like that. There's other option he had was 11 personnel, but he also seemed to abandon that in the second half. They ran just five plays with three receivers on the field in the second half. Uh, but remember in that game, if you're going with three receivers, that means you're taking off one of your tight ends for Jamarcus Bradley or before mentioned Jojo Natson. And then why would Stefanski go back to 11 personnel anyway, a lot in the second half, because they ran 13 plays out of it in the first half, 12 of those were passes. Mayfield was two of 10 with two sacks. They just did not play well at all when they had three wide receivers on the field. So what happens on Sunday? That's an important question because like you said, Brian is out. The Joku could be out that really puts a dent in your ability to do things with multiple tight ends. Uh, Njoku tweeted he's fine, by the way. I do not know his vaccination status. I don't know if that was revealed today or not. Um, but if he's not able to play, that leaves the Browns with Hooper and Mil- Miller Forrestall, an undrafted rookie out of Alabama who's been on the practice squads for both the Browns and the Titans, has not played in an NFL game. That's not great. Uh, the Browns also have a fifth-year tight end, Ross Travis, on their practice squad. And I don't know if you know about Ross, but uh, he did not play football in college. He's one of those basketball converts. Mm. Uh, he went to Penn State, got some interest from the NFL, and he's actually started seven games in the NFL, six of which were for the Chiefs. He's got 14 career catches, uh, but he's not in the league because of his blocking ability. Let's put it that way. He's tall and, and able to catch the ball. So this could be a very different looking offense for the Browns from a personnel group standpoint. Austin Hooper said on Wednesday that, you know, next man up and all that, they're going to be asking players to do things that they haven't been asked to do. Not that they can't do them, but they just haven't been in that role yet. But I would say 13 personnel probably out of the question, at least as far as leading the league with 21% uh, week to week, unless you want to say put Johnny Stanton, in that role? No, as no, tight end? no. It's something they experimented with in the preseason. I don't want to. I I'm don't just throwing want that out to. there. I don't want to do it. The other scenario is they lean into 11 personnel with the thinking that they'll run out of it, but that would be a lot different than what they've done. They only run out of it like 36% of the time uh, this season. So uh, there are some decisions to be made, and they're probably really holding out hope that Njoku is going to be back because if you do not have him or Bryant – that really changes uh, what this offense looks like. But is that bad? Lance, I, I, I asked Devin, Kevin Stefanski a version of this question. 
in a bye week like this, when you're doing self-evaluation and your offense has not scored points, whatever the stats are, Scott, you and your numbers, <laughs> they're know, not scoring Just... any points. They're not scoring any points. Lance, would you believe in change for change sake to some degree? Listen, we have our philosophy, whatever the percentage is, this is, we're scoring like 10 points a game. We have to do something different because this isn't working. And I said, I think I said it in the question to Stefanski. This might sound crazy, but is there some validity to that, Lance, as a coach? I can tell already. Lance, I don't know you very well at all yet, but you're already giving me crazy media guy face. Like you're like crazy media guy. You're just going to do something different for no reason. That's not how coaches think. I already know what your answer is going to be. Yeah, you're uh, you're on the right track. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, you know, I w- it's you 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 don't want to change com- completely. Um, it's just tough. So repeat your question. What was your, what, what do you want to know? Like, what, what, what should is your you question to me? So you can find numbers. They, they run 13 personnel for instance, yeah, yeah. 20% of the time, twice as much as any other team in the league. And they are successful out of it. But mm-hmm. at some point, like, I don't care about that because you're scoring 10 and 13 and 17 points. So that's just an example of it. And there's actually plenty of other things they're doing wrong, but changing it up just to change it up. Like, is there validity in that, that the bottom line is the offense is not operating at a, in a way that's scoring points. So we have to change something, or would you just say, we believe in our philosophy and we just have to be better at it? Well, the number Scott was saying, you know, it's funny, but those numbers, you know, those are numbers we use in a meeting. Those are numbers you say, this is what, because you have to go, there's a feel part of it. And a lot of coaches have the feel part of it, but there's a number thing because there's times we feel. And I know when I was an offense coordinator, I based things on what are we doing well and why are we doing them well? And the Browns run the ball very well. Now, 13 personnel against the Ravens last week and 13 personnel in general, as we know in the NFL, it seems like when the team does something well, everybody breaks it down and figures out how to not make it go as well. And I think with 13 personnel, it goes back to those eight man boxes you guys are talking about. It's there. People are the more people we bring inside the box, the more people, other people bring inside the box. And for me, it's, I would stay with our philosophy, but I would change in terms of 13 personnel is successful for the Browns because the NFL copy, you know, they, their personnel base. So when the Browns bring in three tight ends, the other teams bring in big people. We can now spread them out and do different things because our tight ends are very flexible. But my idea would be to, we got to spread some people out, get some people out of the box. And our strength is, uh, is Chubb and Hunt in our offensive line. And the more people we have out of the box, now our big guys can block their big guys. And we can get the uh, get the balls to our uh, get the ball to our tailbacks. So I still you're you're changing to ch- you're changing a little bit, but you're still staying with what you do. You're you're saying okay, we're going to be um, we're going to run the ball, but we got to figure out different ways to get people out of the box, formations, motions, etc. Um, which I think uh, Stefanski does a great job of, and I think that's where they're that's the route they're going to have to go. They're going to have to because you know, we go two tight end sets with the wing and things like that. They're crowding the line of scrimmage, and you can't block them all. And I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, as a coach, I always we can't block them all. And I know those tailbacks will make a miss, but I don't think we have to change everything. I think we have to, I don't, I think the Browns have to go with the idea of what can we do to get what we do to work. And I think one of those things is spread them out a little bit. So you would spread them out though, with a lot of tight ends on the field, or you would play three receiver sets more often and spread them out. Well, I would like to, you know, I don't, as in the NFL, you know, we run big guys in, they run big guys in. We run four receivers, you know, we run 10 in, they run their DBs and they run nickel in. And 
I think a lot of a, t- a lot of times, maybe in the past, when we ran thirteen personnel in, they ran their run the run pack type packages in. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I think I think they're saying, listen, you can do whatever you want. We're going to crowd the line of scrimmage, and until you get more receivers out there, until you spread spread it out a little bit, we're going to continue to crowd the line of scrimmage. And you know, when you crowd the line of scrimmage, and, and now now our boot don't work as well, our screens don't work as well. Um, so I think the good thing is I don't think we have to change everything. I think we just have to go with the idea of formationally, how do we get teams to spread out a little bit? I mean, you watch those snaps, and I'm watching the game last week, and there's eight, nine, ten guys within five yards. That's that you can't run the ball. I don't care what level you're at, you can't run the ball with all those people in there. Okay, so Lance, I know you didn't intend to do this, but you you kind of mistakenly perhaps wound up where I am. We kind of wound up agreeing. This is a bad look for you, Lance. You, you really want to establish a position that I do not agree with what Doug thinks. Scott has done a very good job of establishing that. He just shakes yes. his head at me. The people can't even hear the head shake, but they can sense it. But I because- like the numbers. The Scott's right about the numbers. So when, those, when those coaches go in, they rely on those numbers. Those numbers tell them what's working and what's not and how they fix it. And, you know, if they're in 13 and we're running the ball, what is, why is it not working? And, and those, those numbers are important to those guys. I do think, but a lot of this goes back to sort of the efficiency shoebox that I've been talking about that something that you can find numbers. And Scott, like you said, over the course of the season, 13 personnel has been effective for them generally more often than not. But what has that effectiveness done for the offense? Like a, a play might be effective in and of itself, but I feel like it's it's that they end up being a little more reluctant to spread it out with more receivers. And then when they do that, they're not as good at it because they're in 13 personnel so much more often than other people are. And I do think there's a to just keep leaning into, well, we like a bunch of tight ends. We have good tight ends and running backs and an offensive line. And that's what we're going to do. Yes, you're good in that package, but it's not leading to points. And I, so, Lance, I would agree with spread it out a little bit. Like, whatever that is, you've got to spread it out to get develop some breathing room, even if that means putting, like, Jamarcus Bradley and Anthony Schwartz and guys like that on the field a little bit more, and they're not as good of players as your three tight ends, but that's all we're talking about. We're talking about scoring points. So that's where I'm – that's where my changing, right, Lance? You just kind of want them to spread it out more than they did last week. That's part of the change to me that – Maybe that's not exactly what Kevin Stefanski's ideal philosophy is, but so far the ideal philosophy can't get you to 20. Yeah, like Scott, where are you? Scott, make sure again, I know you're going to disagree with me, but specifically, why do you disagree with me? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I'm not necessarily going to disagree with you, but I'm going to offer up some other things to think about. And one of the reasons why uh, 13 personnel and their success or lack of success in that sticks out is because other personnel groups aren't working as well as they might've last year. You know, they're not good this year when they got three receivers on the field and 12 personnel hasn't worked uh, at, at, at a high rate, a high success rate compared to what it did last year. So um, that's part of it, but specifically with the Ravens, keep in mind that even if you do spread them out they're they're still going to have a bunch of guys near the line of scrimmage because they blitz and they're going to bring their safeties up and they're going to give you that zero look. And that's where, you know, Baker and the receivers are going to have to make something happen. So it, it's not, it could, it could end up working great, but it's still going to be a case where they're going to have a lot of people in your line of scrimmage, uh, at least, at least against the Ravens. All right. We're going to get more into the receivers and what they might do when we get to Lance, but first 
Scott, we want to do a little bit on Lamar Jackson and what the Browns did against him last time and what they might do against him on Sunday. But first, we'll take a break. I've got to watch the tape. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Lance Reisland, back with you on Gotta Watch the Tape, working the three-person podcast again. We hope you guys are reading cleveland.com slash Browns for all the great content there, including film breakdowns from Lance. All right, Scott, success, right? We would, we would deem what the Browns did last time against Lamar Jackson a success. So, of course, that will be easy to duplicate, right? Yeah, and mark this down on your calendar. We're going to talk about something good. Hey, forever. Right. Uh, So before week 12, we talked about all the different ways teams have defended uh, the Ravens and specifically Lamar Jackson, like the Dolphins uh, raised a lot of eyebrows when they blitzed them 30 times. Um, They won that game. Jackson really struggled in that game. He was only five of 13 under pressure. He was sacked four times. That's one extreme. And they're not the only team that's gone that way. Then the other side of that is almost completely abandoning the blitz and leaning into just a really heavy zone scheme and just clogging everything up. Uh, So the Browns chose the path that was probably closer to how they normally operate. Jackson ended up being 20 of 32, 165 yards and a touchdown. He was intercepted four times. PFF gave him the lowest offensive grade on the Ravens in that game, 41.7. Uh, That included a passing grade of 35.3. Both of those are season lows for Jackson. So in that respect, it was a successful game plan for the Browns. He managed 68 yards, 13 carries, five first downs, but it was only the third game in which he did not have at least one forced missed tackle. He only had one, like one yard after contact. And this is a guy who, who usually gets over three after contact. Uh, The Browns managed all that by sticking to their normal blitz rate. They're around 20%. It was like 21% in this game, eight of 38 dropbacks. And then meanwhile, their corners and safeties were in zone coverage, like 70 to 80% of the time, which is a little bit more than they have been this season. So that's, that's been the formula. And against Jackson, they got him under pressure about 34% of the time. But the coverage in the back end was the trick because all four of those interceptions came from a clean pocket, uh, at least according to PFF. He completed 12 of of 22 passes from a clean pocket against the Browns. Now the Steelers on Sunday kind of went a different route a little bit. They blitzed them 19 times. Steelers do blitz a little more, but not that much more than the Browns this season, but it ended up being about 40% of his dropbacks. He got blitzed by the Steelers and they were in zone about 75% of the time, which was a bump up like about 10% more than normal. So a little more zone, a little more blitzing than normal. That was the way the Steelers went. Jackson's PFF grades were about as bad as they were against the Browns. Plus, he was sacked seven times. And that's that's where you see the different results between what the Browns did and the Steelers did uh, in their games against the Ravens. The Browns got pressure on him about 10% less than the Steelers did. But they only had two sacks in that game. And like we've talked the week after that game about just how close they were multiple times. You know, Miles Garrett getting his hand on, 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 on Lamar's arm and he still throws a touchdown pass that was for the Steelers and ends up with an incompletion just you know a game of inches and all that so they did get the four picks and while it might seem like a fluky thing that a quarterback is throwing so many picks from a clean pocket nine of his 13 picks have been from a clean pocket this season and the best news of all for the Browns is that all four of those picks were on targets for Mark Andrews Mm -hmm. Uh, when the Browns have success covering a tight end that's like that's headline news so a lot of things went right for the Browns on defense, but again, the, I think the frustration and Miles Garrett kind of got into it after the game was how often they did get pressure and just weren't able to kind of bring it home. 
Lamar is actually really, he's eight of 10, 94 yards and a touchdown under pressure, which isn't normal for him. He's usually not that good throwing the ball under pressure. Uh, Garrett and Clowney each had five pressures and then he just had the one sack, which was, which was Garrett's. Um, but the back of the defense is where you really saw, I think the group of players who perform well in zone, you know, you, you brought in John Johnson who played a ton of it. Uh, you had Greg Newsom out there um, guys who just been, who've had success in that. And it's, it's just a good example of everything kind of working from that standpoint. But last year, what really hurt the Browns was the Ravens getting yards after contact or yards after catch. Uh, last year, it was like 3.8 yards after contact on running plays in week 14 in that shootout. Two weeks ago, it was, it was just over one yard Oh wow! after contact. Uh, Receiving-wise, the Ravens, over five yards after catch in week 14, just two and a half two weeks ago. And that was even skewed by Devonta Freeman. He had like nine yards on one catch. So take that out. It's even lower. So they got to the ball. They tackled. They did well. And I mean, the game plan worked. So now Joe Woods got to figure out how do you do that and get similar results without maybe doing the exact same thing? You know, do you dial back blitzes? Do you ramp them up? Do you play more man? So the ultimate goal I think is to make Lamar Jackson stay in the pocket and throw into a crowded secondary while also keeping the run game under wraps and they basically did that, but odds are you're not going to be able to do it again the same exact way. And that's, that's the challenge. I think a lot of that, right. The, the lack of yards after contact and after catch, that's John Johnson, the third and Greg Newsom and JOK and Anthony Walker and all these guys, they brought in better athletes in the defense so that when they get to the guys, they can take them down. Lance, would you blitz Lamar Jackson or no? What would be your instinct with a quarterback like that if you were trying to defend him? I'm sorry, Doug. Is that for me? I lost you a little bit. Yeah, here. bumping in out here. Yeah, um, Lance. If, well, if you think, would you blitz him? Would you blitz Lamar? Um, well, I, listen to Scott's numbers. The one thing that I I, I think the Browns did very well and in, in it went to the Steelers game is, is too is that when you're in zone, your eyes are on Lamar. So when you're in zone and not in man, your eyes are on Lamar. So. I don't mind blitzing Lamar. I think they did. I thought they did a good job of mixing things up. Four man pressures. Day okay coming a couple times on third down and long on run situations. I thought they did a good job of uh, containing him. But the thing that I like with Lamar and all running quarterbacks is keeping your eyes, being in zone and keeping your eyes. Now you have eleven players with their eyes on. Uh, anytime you're in man coverage, then you lose eyes, and that's one thing I think is very dangerous with Lamar Jackson. So. Uh, I thought the Browns did that and those numbers that Scott uh, said about the Steelers as well, blitzing a little bit more. But the things that were the same between the Browns and the Steelers were they both played more zone. And that tells me that they wanted eyes on Lamar, which I, I like the idea of bringing three and four and five and doing all that, but making sure that secondary has their eyes being in zone and having their eyes on Lamar. Lamar is a great player, but it feels like this is replicable. Like what, the Browns, what worked a couple weeks ago, a version of that with obviously some tweaks because you can't do the exact same thing would probably work again because there's just been, a, as you said, Scott, kind of there's a lot of kind of things that have worked against Lamar Jackson at times this year. But uh, I think, Lance, you make probably the most important point is whatever you're doing up front, uh, a nice, smart, cohesive zone behind it is the key to making sure he doesn't drive you crazy. All right, we'll take one more break. When we come back, Lance will talk about the Browns receivers next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug Scott and Lance, 
All right. So Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, Jamarcus Bradley, maybe Anthony Schwartz, although he's not completely cleared yet. Right, Scott? Um, Correct. Demetric Felton. Right. A little bit of that. A little bit of uh, what's that other guy's name? Oh, what's the guy's name that uh, oh, starts with an R and an H? It's not going to be him. We know it's not Richard Higgins, Scott. I mean, that it's not going to be him. not. Apparently not. Lance, when you, you broke down the Browns receivers and what they were able to do and not do against the Ravens, what did you find and what does it mean for Sunday? Well, I've, you know, first of all, I think they'll get better. Like you said, Landry's the only one that really has a ton of experience. And Donovan Peoples-Jones has kind of become that second guy. Uh, but he doesn't have a lot of experience either. So when you watch these NFL guys, I think they'll get better on the me versus you one-on-one releases. Uh, but they didn't do that very well, and they didn't separate very well. So breaking down the film um, and kind of going over, like, what I think they can do, they, you can, as an offense, you can help them. And, you know, first thing they did early on, we, we, we didn't get a play, but move, the, move our best receivers inside. And when you move those really good, you know, move Landry and Peoples-Jones inside. And there's a snap that I, uh, that I highlighted in my write-up this week where Landry got uh, lined up against the linebacker. And when we get those, when we get those matchups, we got to take advantage of those matchups. So I think moving into the slot is the first thing we can do. Helping them with the releases, there's a couple things you can do. One is you can stack them, and another is you can motion them. Because uh, when you're in a stack in your motion, you can't press. Uh, and the Browns receivers, especially those young guys, seem to really struggle getting off press coverage. So put them in motion. Put them in the slot. Put them in motion. Stack them. The winning play by uh, Pittsburgh last week, uh, Deontay Johnson and Firemuth, their tight end, they, they ran a good little stack combination uh, and got Baltimore kind of mixed up in their coverage and it eliminated the press coverage. Um, so I think those will be the, like, uh, first thing, couple things you can do is kind of stack them, move them, move them inside. And then when they get into routes, you know, use some rub concepts. You know, as I always like to say, rub concepts. My defense coordinator always said picks. Yep. Uh, but use those rub concepts. You know, have them uh, in the red zone, uh, third down mediums, things like that. Run those bunch concepts or those reduced formations and, and pick those guys and run those guys off each other. So they're running into each other again uh, on the – first touchdown in the fourth quarter against Pittsburgh or early or late in the third, um, they ran a little scissors count, a little scissors route. And those, the DBs got caught up with each other for Baltimore. So they had a lot of success in that third, late, late third, fourth quarter, just kind of running, helping those receivers pick routes, rub routes with stack routes. And then uh, again, when you, when you rub, you can also not release upfield immediately. Take those angled releases that will help you get off that DB, especially if you're off the ball. When you release vertical, you allow those good NFL DBs to get their hands on you. And when those hands get on you, you're in trouble and you're off the route. So, um, again, take good angled routes, uh, work in, work out, and, and not always be so vertical. Work out and then get vertical. But I think, you know, just a combination of moving them inside, motions, stacks, and then when they get in the route, create some separation. Obviously, it doesn't look like they can do that very well right now. So help them with the rope concepts. I think that'll really help the Browns. And again, this sort of goes back to, uh, again, where where we are all in agreement here on Got to Watch the Tape, which is like, listen, they don't have a ton of receivers who are just going to win one-on-one, who are going to beat DBs off the line immediately, who are going to... So what does that mean? Does that mean you give up on throwing to receivers? No. 
It means what you're talking about, Lance. It's like to, to spread out our offense to help open up the run game. We've got to try to get these guys open a little bit. And I do think there remains a lingering aspect of one. Once you don't have Odell Beckham Jr. and you don't have a guy that defenses have to worry about, it's much easier to lock in on these other guys. And these guys are not winning. And you see the results. So I think this makes a lot of sense, especially that stack concept. Again, that's just you have a couple receivers, two or three line up right next to each other. And then when everybody releases off the line, you can cross and do things right away. And you see it every week. I think the Browns just did it a couple weeks ago. Or was it Ohio State? Somebody did it. It's like you see it and it's like, oh, look, there were three receivers right next to each other. Here comes the snap. There were three DBs right with them. And as soon as they broke apart, two DBs went with one guy and no DBs went with the other guy. And Lance, what you're saying is you don't have to be a world beater. You don't have to be the greatest guy with your release off the line. If the play call and the formation gives you a little bit of help and these receivers, frankly, probably just need that little bit of help right now. Yeah, correct. I think, you know, when you, there's at, at all levels, there's certain ways you got to help your receivers. You got to help with press coverage. And if you, if you can't win one-on-one, which was always that's guys like Odell can do, they can win one-on-one. And those guys, even if they're not catching the ball, they give you those Odell type of guys, they give you a lot of stretch. And they give you a lot of uh, ability to work underneath because they're able to take the top off. Uh, but if they can't do it, then you got to help them. And rubs and stacks and and motions and all those kind of things allow for that. And and when you're doing that, especially when you're motion, DBs have to back up because if they don't back up, they get picked. If they don't back up, they get rubbed. And when they back up, now you're not getting pressed. Now you're not getting hands on them, and you can get into your route better. And Scott, you brought up the point when the Browns did run three receivers last time against the Ravens. Baker was two of 10. One of the reasons he was two of 10 is because the guys weren't winning and they weren't open. And so that's part of this. I'm sure everybody by now has seen the Kurt Warner, not everybody, Kurt Warner broke down some Baker Mayfield film. And I mean, who are we to argue? I'm I'm like Lance Reisland knows 4,000 times more about football than I do. Lance, no offense, but to my knowledge, you are not a Super Bowl winning quarterback. So I'm going to say Kurt Warner might even know a little bit more. So Lance is higher on the list than me. Just to be clear, everybody, on the football knowledge totem pole, I'm the guy in the bottom. I'm the guy. I'm actually the guy sweeping up around it. And then people like Lance way up there. But then Kurt Warner, come on. But I did sort of some of the Kurt Warner stuff was like, hey, look at this. Baker Mayfield made this throw into the flat and Nick Chubb ran his route a half yard off of what he should have run. And that's on Nick Chubb. And then he had to play where the screen was set up and it was like going to hit and Baker dropped the ball. And Kurt Warner was like, ah, that happens sometimes. And it was like, like the stuff where it was like, well, Nick Chubb, you've got to be six inches better on this route that he was making it clear. That wasn't Baker's fault. And then he was like, ah, quarterbacks dropped the ball. It's happened to all of us. It's like, okay, well, like what do we have an agenda with this thing? But, <laughs> but I do think there's points made And Scott. You had that screenshot right after the game. Here's a call with the, with the game on the line. Here's everybody out in their route and nobody is open. And the pressure is on Baker forcing him to throw. We have done a pretty good job that we have not said Baker Mayfield's name pretty much on this, but clearly I think Lance, what you're saying, we all would agree part of what is happening. If Baker is not making throws at times, guys aren't that open guys are not winning, especially the receivers. And that's an issue. And Scott, it shows up when you say is two of 10 in 11 personnel. Yeah, I think, uh, well, they're not going to have Marlon Humphrey. And I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is probably ecstatic about that. He'll probably tell you that there should have been way more than, what, one 
one uh, holding call on Humphrey in that game. Uh, it was a lot. It was it was really tight. Next Gen Stats actually has a, kind of a cushion and a, a separation stat. They kind of keep track of that stuff. Landry in that game hit a cushion. Uh, it's a snap of almost seven yards. So his separation was 3.8 yards per target. And now the, the leaders are going to be like in the fours, four and a half and stuff. But you got to scroll way, 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 way down to find out about people's Jones. He wasn't getting that kind of cushion off the line of scrimmage, uh, just about three and a half yards. And his separation was less than two yards, like one and a half yards. So it was a rough day for him to find space. Um, and Marlon Humphrey, like he had three targets against him and he only caught the one. So that's going to help not having their best coverage corner out there on the field for sure. But two guys that need to get open are DPJ and Jarvis Landry. And if, if that means bunching them, uh, however they want to do it, but if you're going to not have Najoku, if you're not going to have Bryant, I think there's going to be even more uh, responsibility on Landry and DBJ to, to be guys who are catching the ball for sure. All right. We'll wrap up with this because sometimes you talk about stuff on this show and it's like, ah, this could be this and this could be this. And then you watch the game and it's like, well, that didn't happen at all. Lance, it feels like to me the stuff you're talking about when Kevin Stefanski gets a bye week to self-evaluate, he has to be seeing that that our receivers aren't winning one-on-one battles. We have to help them more. And I would imagine this feels like to me on Sunday, I am going to watch for more motion, especially from Landry and people's Jones and more stack concepts where they have a chance to get something off the line to help free them up. And then some rub routes down the field. Are you fairly confident that we are act, we are going to see that because coaches in self-evaluation would come to your conclusion and decide they have to do something about it. Yeah, whatever their whatever their decision is, they will see lack of separation, and, and those stats are fantastic in terms of, of, you know, those are real numbers, and those are, you know, you can say whatever you want, and it is what it is, but those are real numbers. So if they're not separating, and you see it on film not separating, then you, two things. First of all, you have to make the plays when they're there, because once in a while there is separation. Once in a while, you have to make those plays. And secondly, if they're not doing it, what is our – you can run a lot of the same concepts. You don't have to change your offense because you practice what you – you can't just make plays up. You have to go with what you practice. But you can take those same plays and you can run them out of bunches and you can run them out of stacks and you can do all those things. You know, we all have those plays that we can run out of multiple formations. So I think the Browns will adjust and I think they will figure out ways to get those guys in the slot. Uh, not having Humphrey is going to be huge. Um, he's a very good cover corner. He's very physical. But, yeah, they're going to have to figure out how how they're going to help him. And I think those, you know, at all levels, those are kind of the ways you help your receivers. All right. So I think two things I'd watch for on Sunday. One is sort of, Scott, what you talked talked about off the top, the number of guys in the box and, and do the Browns keep trying to run against that. And then even the what, what Lance was talking about with what kind of front are they running against? How do they attack? Because the, the Ravens aren't going to abandon that. But then – what Lance is talking about, how do you free up the receivers and give them a little bit of help? Because they, I do think they have to spread it out. They have to get out of the shoebox a little bit. And if they have to help the receivers do that, then that's what they have to do. All right. We were back to three. The good thing, everybody, is when there's three, that means less of me. So there's more football. So Scott can do his thing. Now we have Lance doing his thing and fewer dad jokes. Lance, thank you for joining us. We'll look forward to having you back on Gotta Watch the Tape. Scott, great numbers as always. 
Huge game on Sunday. Read about it at cleveland.com slash Browns. Make sure you listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll have the game preview and that normal roundtable on Friday. For now, for Lance Reisland and Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.